find the room for the cross into Lukaku, who's nearly won it. Oh, it's a good ball too for Lukaku. Canate's with him. Lukaku! Oh no! Flag up! It's a kind of game we want to see, and and and. They, they can hear it. It was it was good, and I, I was proud on them, and I, that's what I told them. What's up, Blues fans? Brandon London here, and I have the privilege of welcoming you all to another episode of Chelsea Mic'd Up, the official Chelsea FC podcast here in America. I'm coming to you from New York City, and the gang's with me. It's Emily Kaplan, and I'm coming to you guys from Chicago. I am Andre Carlisle. I'm in Charlotte. It's a long story and not that interesting, so over to you, Lee. Thanks very much. I'm Lee Parker. I'm in London, still recovering from the weekend's events, but we'll get on to that in a moment. So on this episode of Chelsea Mike, we're going to look back at an insane Carabao Cup final for the men's team. We all have mixed emotions on that loss, but we got tons to discuss. And then it was another cut match, this time for the women's team. They put up a touchdown. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, a touchdown on Leicester City. And we move on to the FA Cup. Plus, you don't want to miss our sit-down with Canadian midfield star Jesse Fleming. Oh, I got to throw out the disclaimer. We're recording this ahead of the men's FA Cup match on Wednesday versus Luton Town. But we'll touch on that in next week's episode. So... We got a lot to get to. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Let's go Blues. Lee, kick us off. Oh, man, where do we start? Like I said, an incredible, incredible game at Wembley. It was a privilege to be there. I think it probably took 10 years off my life, if I'm being brutally honest. gave me hypertension. It was the most insane nil-nil draw I think I've ever, ever seen. It was a game that just had everything. We'll come on to some of the controversies, but there are so many positives to come out of it as well. Trevor Chalaber, first start since Liverpool, funnily enough, back on January the 2nd. He was phenomenal. Reese James playing an hour. The plan was to give Reese, I think, about 20 minutes for the first time in two months. But he was forced due to injury to Aspilicueta, of course, to play over an hour. But again, he looked like he, he hadn't missed a beat. How good was Marcus Alonso, by the way? That was something I think went under the radar a bit. I think the fact that he kept Mo Salah as quiet as he did whilst also posing a, an attacking threat. I thought he was he was fantastic. But the front three, we can talk about Havertz, Mount, Pulisic. Yes, there were chances. But as, as a very mobile front three, they caused Liverpool untold problems. Could have scored a few. Didn't, sadly. There were disallowed goals. There were decisions that didn't go our way. There were decisions that didn't go Liverpool's way. It, it was a game that had everything, Andre, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, this is one of those games where uh, we, we will dive into it deeper, but I just think it's important to just admire what we watch. Neither team was as complete as they really wanted to be. Liverpool didn't have the midfield they wanted. We certainly didn't have our full defense, particularly our wingbacks, you know, um, even though Marcos Alonso did play well. But just admiring the quality of the football that we watched in that match. I thought it was incredible. I loved watching it. Of course, I hate the result, but I think in moments like these, you just have to look at the sport and say, that was incredible. That was just so much fun. I love what you said in the group chat, Andre. You were like, I wish they could split the trophy in half because I really do feel like we both deserved it. And I know that's so lame and I'm not in participation trophy culture, but these are just two teams that were battling at it and with no goals. We had so many chances. And that, you know, I think is when we think back at this match, we'll think of those missed opportunities, but they had their chances too. And I know the big topic in this game is the goaltenders. And I don't think you can question Thomas Tuchel's decision at all to start Edward Mundy in this game because he was absolutely sensational. I also don't think that you can question his decision to go with Kepa for the penalty kicks. You hear, 
oh, I see Andre rolling his eyes. I'm going to get my point and get back to him. I just hear that in practice, Keppel works more on this. And it's such a more specific skill. It's not really like game action. He led us so far this season in penalty kicks. Go ahead, Andre, because I'm I'm on team I'm team Emily with this one. I, I honestly I just think that it's really difficult to make changes right before a penalty shootout. I think if Kepa had started the match, fine, no, all, all good. Uh, I think Mindy was in great form. That double save he made was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, that was ridiculous. I, I don't know of another keeper that gets up a second time and is able to push that over the top of the bar from where he was, basically parallel with the ground. It was absolutely incredible. But, I, you know, we've, we saw that with England in the Euros, you know, when they made substitutions just before a penalty shootout and then the players that substituted all missed. It, a Kepa faced 11 straight. That's not indicative of how good he is at it. But to me, it is indicative of just the randomness of a penalty shootout. And I just don't think the margins are wide enough to say this is definitely my guy who gives me so much of an advantage that it that it works, that, that it is going to be foolproof. And you know, we kind of saw that 11 straight. I know the analytics say, you know, Kepa is a better, better at penalties, but I don't know. In that match with Mindy in the form that he was in, I say you let him go for it. He just won AFCON in a penalty shootout where he had to face, you know, Mo Salah and some others. I don't know. I'm, I'm just a big Mindy fan, and I thought it was a little brutal to take him off after all he did in that match. I, I get what you're saying on that, but I'm, I'm still Team Emily after that. This is his specialty. In a sense, when you're thinking about what when we have these two goaltenders, Mindy is Mindy. Mindy is absolutely phenomenal. He's done some great things. Keppel has stepped in and done some great things. But anytime we talk about penalty kicks, when we're talking about Chelsea FC, we're talking Keppel because he has shown time in and time out that he can make stops. He can make those game-saving stops in the penalty kick moment. Well, I, that's kind of the thing. I, I just kind of want to see the update in an analytics because, honestly, 11 straight is brutal. I mean, Liverpool have very good strikers at the ball, very good penalty takers, but 11 straight is kind of brutal. So I really, like, to me, the margins are so tight before this, and now they have to be even tighter. So I, that's kind of where I'm at. I just wonder what the update on the analytics are now that, now that you have these 11 straight that he's failed to save. I think you're right. And I think it's something that's been discussed before. And I think this comes back to, we've talked about Thomas Tuchel's man management and he's very open and honest with his with his players. He was asked in the press conference ahead of the Luton game, who's starting in goal? And he said, look, I know who's going to play in goal. The goalkeepers, plural, know who's going to play. I'm not going to give the team away. But he is very open and honest with everybody. He, he, he doesn't shirk the fact that Edu is his number one. He says that all the time. But statistically, we come back to it, Historically, Kepa has done the business when it comes to penalties. If we just look at this season, Villarreal, key saves in the in the shootout, Villarreal. And, and in, in the, the Carabao Cup itself, you know, you think about the, the big saves in the shootouts against Villa and Southampton. The penalty save against Plymouth in the last round of the FA Cup. We wouldn't be playing against Luton if it wasn't for that. So, and I also think there's a danger of, you can't coach retrospectively as well. I think there's always an aspect of, and we, we hear pundits go, oh, you know, he's, he's costing the trophy and he's done this. If you could coach retrospectively, you'd have pulled Trevor Chalaber off a couple of minutes before Naby Keita tried to break him in half. It just doesn't work like that. The decision was made at the time. It felt like the right decision, obviously, otherwise he wouldn't have done it. And like I said, hindsight's a wonderful thing. It didn't work out. It was an incredible game of football. It came down to the cliched lottery of penalty kicks. 
It could have gone either way. Yes, we're all gutted. Well, Lee, I think you made a great point that Thomas Tuchel is, if nothing, but a clear and effective communicator. And there's something to be said that this was the plan going into the match and you can prepare all you want. You should go with your plan that you prepared for. And that was the plan. It's something that can't go according to plan is when you put in subs and when you don't put in subs. And, you know, Reese James, I just want to talk about him because this was his return. And I think he played a lot more than they expected him to play. And, you know, maybe he's going to rest up after this because he played so well. I loved the way that he just seamlessly stepped in and just looked like old Reese James. I wish he showed a little bit more of that offensive creativity. I'm sure that'll come when his timing and you know confidence gets back after this injury, but it just felt great to see him back. He looked like he hadn't missed a beat, didn't it? It was, it was fantastic. I think like Thomas Tuchel said the, the, the plan from the medical team and from his perspective was to just ease him in with 20 minutes, but sadly... As you've touched on there, Emily, that circumstances dictated and he had to play a lot more. No one banked on extra time penalties and all that comes with it. And just the energy levels of that game. It was, it was what, watching an NBA game at the time, wasn't it? It was just end to end. At no point did I look at him and question his if he was fit enough to still be out there and still be uh, logging those type of minutes. At no point did I question his presence on the pitch. We've seen it as well earlier this season with, with N'Golo Kante coming back from injury. And again, the plan just to play him sort of maybe for 20, 30 minutes. But sometimes circumstances dictate that you do have to play longer. and the Players want to play, don't they? I mean, Brandon, you know that more than more than anyone. Players want to play. And we've had it in the past. I remember if we go all the way back to 2012 and that, that first Champions League victory, genuinely going into that game, Nobody knew who the defensive central defensive pairing were going to be because David Louise and Gary Cahill were both coming back from, from injuries. They genuinely didn't know they were going to make it through the warm-up. They had two teams on the whiteboard in the dressing room in case they pulled up with an injury in, in the warm-up. But they desperately wanted to play and they played through the pain and it, it paid dividends. And we've seen that again now. And it tells you a lot about the character of some of these players. And you look at people like Aspilicueta, absolutely gutted to have come off with that injury. And as soon as he goes down, you know it's a bad one because you're like, well, you know, you have to break his leg to get him off the pitch sometimes because he will just go and go and go and go. And it just talks, I think it just shows the, the, the spirit within this group and the character within this group. And yeah, I mean, there's so much more to play for this season. And one of the things I asked Thomas after the game was, does an experience like this help to galvanise the group? And he said, well, I hope so. And it, it definitely will. I mean, the level of performance was incredible. You play like that against 99% of teams, you're going to put them away. Liverpool were nine unbeaten in all competitions. Guess we have to say it's 10 unbeaten now, of course. But, you know, they're a decent side. They're a very, very good side. And we saw that again. But it also showed that Chelsea can, you know, go toe-to-toe with the very best yeah I was gonna say that's kind of my I I had that same thought Lee I was thinking if if this team plays like this every game they're gonna be extremely hard to beat by anybody this was just a random I mean it was 11-10 in penalties that's not losing really that's just wild that's just happened to be one thing that happens it's unfortunate yeah it's chalked up officially as a a loss but when the margin is that fine it you, you almost have to look at the total performance and I also wanted to call out Mateo Kovacic because I think he is just, oh, his development has just been so absolutely incredible. His dribbling, his, his progressive passing for me is just amazing. He's finding these windows to fit the ball into, to get people to run onto. And we've talked a lot about not being able to generate quality chances. This team with Havertz in there created so many really good chances. I mean, that, that Pulisic chance really early on was just incredible sweeping movement. We saw a number of those. Fall Mount had one as well. I mean, I just really loved Havertz's influence in the game. And we're finally seeing this is what the promise of this player is. He's such a unique talent. 
and putting him out there in a match like this was incredible. And I just love that front three's movement. Absolutely right. I think Kovacic is a really good one. I know we spoke, I think it was last week or maybe the week before, apologies about just how his role has evolved. We've got some time with him on uh, later in the week, actually. So I'm going to sit down with, with him for 20 minutes. And that's one of the first things I want to talk to him about, just how much he has worked on that progressive side of his game because it's something that we hadn't seen in previous seasons the ability to break the lines and like you rightly say Andre he's making such a difference we saw that didn't we when you came off the bench against Crystal Palace literally his first touch his first touch was that ball through into Lukaku down through the channel that vision that ability his close control incredible player and I totally agree with you on the Kai Havertz front I think he's been phenomenal hasn't he absolutely his work rate is incredible the mileage he puts in the the technical aspect, he's, he's just really coming through now. I mean, we spoke about his age last week. You forget how young he is and how much more there is to come. But talking to strikers, Lukaku looked really sharp, didn't he, when he came off the bench? And I'm still mad about that, the, the goal that wasn't. You look at it and look at it and look at it. Like, how is it given us offside? It's like, I cannot work that out. It's just, oh, man, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy. But it was interesting just talking about, before we talk about Lukaku again, we had Joe Cole on our pre-match show and we walked around after the game and he was he was obviously upset. He goes, listen, he goes, I've watched Liverpool a lot in the last few months. He says, I've never seen anybody given that much to think about. They look vulnerable for the first time in months. But yeah, Romelu Lukaku, I was yeah, really impressed. I don't know about you guys, but he looked sharp, he looked hungry and those goals are coming. That goal for everything that's surrounding Romelu Lukaku and the fans of Chelsea and bring, and uniting and just building that bridge back to being a fan favorite. Just think of what that goal would have done for him. And it will come because it's interesting that because I was watching training today. I was at Cobham today watching. It was a small group. It was a recovery session. His attitude is spot on, spot on. And there's no shirking responsibility. There's no sulking. He's like playing with his chest out, his head up, communicating, scoring goals for fun in training looking really sharp. So it's coming. I, for one, am here for the, the day he scores a hat-trick and we can do a podcast dedicated to him. I love that. And I love hearing that, especially because there's something about this team where I feel like they rally around each other. And if that's his behavior behind the scenes, I know that his teammates would respond well to that and they're there supporting him. And just to go back to the goalie conversation, I love the way that the players were supporting Kepa afterwards and Thomas Tuchel supported Kepa afterwards. To have that support system around him shows why we're a strong team. And, you know, as we move on from this match, yes, it is a cup that we did not win, but we still have a lot to play for this season. And, you know, you look at the March fixtures and it's, it's a manageable schedule and you're like, you know what, if we just get everyone healthy and back on track, there's still some hardware we could win this year. So a quick word on the atmosphere as well before we moved on, because it was, I don't know if it translated on TV, but the atmosphere at Wembley was absolutely incredible. You know, that first major cup final we've had sort of post-lockdown with a full house, so to speak. And it was, a, it was an amazing atmosphere. Most insane 0-0 zero, zero match I've ever seen. But the ladies, the ladies put up a touchdown, Lee. They put up a touchdown. Seven goals. Yes, there was a sending off in there, but what a performance, Andre. And it was free-flowing football, goals galore. We've got to talk about Penilla Harder again, I know, because she was absolutely outstanding, but quite the performance. Yeah, the, my, my only complaint about this match was that for some reason, and I don't understand all the broadcast rights or whatever, but it wasn't broadcast live, and that really frustrated me because I was really excited to watch this match. But the replay is up on the FA player, which is definitely something that everybody should look at because uh, seven goals is ridiculous. But this team, I, this, this sending off was, was brutal. But when you have something like that that completely changes the match, especially so early, a team like Chelsea is just going to pounce. And that's absolutely what they did. We talk about this every single time. We talk about this, this women's team under Emma Hayes, ruthless. 
it doesn't get any more ruthless than just seven goals on a team that's been down to 10 players. And uh, they just went, they just went off. And it was some of the passing combinations, Pernilla Harder being in the right. I mean, one of her goals was just incredible. Fall down the line. Sam Kerr gets it, puts it across the face of goal. And it's just a tap in. It's just being able to move players around in the way that they can. And that attack was just shades of the Chelsea that we've all been waiting to see consistently throughout this season. And I think a performance like this can only help the team moving forward. And they have a big cup final coming up at the weekend, too. So I'm really excited for this. Yeah, 7-0. Didn't see it coming. Love to see it. And great to see Lauren James starting as well. Long time coming, but phenomenal to see. I mean, she's going to be... Even more upset it wasn't broadcast. Exactly. I was like, her I know, first I start, I didn't see it? <laughs> but just, just a taste of what she can offer. And it just adds more to what is a truly frightening attacking force for opposition fans and, and, and teams. I want to talk about really quick. G's so young. She gets a lot of things done. And for her to finally score her first goal of the season, that's not even why she's so exciting, though, Andre. Like, I watch her, how she creates chances for other players, how she's so active, her work rate. As the song goes, G's so young is unbelievable. She's a Chelsea legend. And that's not, you know, understating it. She is a Chelsea legend and she has been there for, I mean, she's she's still only 31, but she's, she feels like she's been here for a lifetime. And she's just a real fan favorite. And She's hilarious. She's got an incredible sense of humour. Just an amazing football player. That goal was just a, a taste of what we've seen in recent years and what she adds to that squad. And when we were talking about the men's team earlier and the camaraderie, and, and she, she is just one of the most popular people within that setup. And everyone would have been absolutely delighted with her for that goal. Incredible stuff. Yeah, G's one of those great players who is, like she was playing the 10 for so long for Chelsea, you know, just sitting right behind the forwards and, and being able to create and score goals herself. And then she's recently, with, with the change and getting the front line that we have, she's had to move back into, into more of a central midfield role. And she's done it brilliantly. Her just understanding of space and her vision and her technique, her be able to just spray passes anywhere along the pitch, whether it's a nice, you know, controlled, tight, you know, eight-yard pass, forward pass to somebody in stride, or whether it's a 30-yard clip ball for them to run onto. It doesn't really matter. She has a range of passing that's just absolutely ridiculous. And she's taken in this midfield role incredibly, especially with pressing being so big in the in the game now. It's so hard to press her because she knows exactly where every other player is on the pitch and she can get the ball to them or she can dribble around them because she's also very crafty on the ball, too. So, yeah, like like Lee said, just an absolute legend of a player has revamped her position on the pitch and her responsibilities and is still just as effective. And that's really hard to do. On the subject of legends, I've got to quickly mention Mara Mielder as well, who we can't wait for her to be back, of course. She was at Wembley for the uh, for the men's game on Sunday doing some work for Norwegian TV, so it was lovely to have a catch-up with her. And she's feeling good, she's feeling sharp. So it's coming back, it's coming back. And it's, uh, like we said earlier, it's going to be frightening for opposition teams to have uh, a fully fit Chelsea women's squad. You know what, Blues fans? We want to hear from you, Blues. Share your feedback on the Chelsea Mic'd Up podcast through the survey found in the episode description. And one lucky participant will receive a free Chelsea kit. Cup final this weekend, and this time it's for the women versus Man City on Saturday. And on that same day, the men return to Premier League action at Burnley. Another trophy on the line this weekend, Lee. Kick us off. Oh, man, these games between Chelsea women and Manchester City, they're always epic, aren't they, as we saw earlier this year. It's a chance to retain a trophy. It's always a big occasion. You know, they feel like they come back from international break, like they hadn't missed a beat. They're, they're scoring goals for fun. They go into this with confidence. 
I'm going into this with confidence. I'm going to say 3-1 Chelsea. I'm feeling that confidence, and I feel it as, as well, too. I know Manchester City just had a big win as well. They won 4-1 uh, over Manchester United, you know, a local derby there. So they are in good form. But when Chelsea is playing like this, when Chelsea is feeling like this, when all the forwards are scoring like this, we are one of the most difficult, um, top two, top three, most difficult teams to play in women's football. So yeah, I'm thinking that Manchester City is going to struggle again in this one. We have a good record over them. So I'm going to go 2-0. Think about the momentum we're bringing into this of scoring seven goals. I give you 3-0 by us. I, I think your girl G scores. I think Kirby dishes out a couple. I just think that we're rolling right now and this is exactly what we need. We're going to bring home the hardware. 4-0. Thank you, Emily, for saying G's going to score. Okay, focusing on the men then. Once again, it's, it's Burnley away this weekend. It's always a tough old trip up to Turf Moor this year, especially Burnley finding a bit of form recently. I know they are scrapping. They're, they're still obviously fighting for their, their status in the Premier League. So it's never an easy game. Never an easy game. You know exactly what you're going to get from a Sean Dyche team. It'll be physical. They'll be strong. I feel confident. It doesn't feel too long ago that Christian Pulisic scored the perfect hat-trick up at Turf Moor. So I'm going to bet on him being on target again, and I'm going to go 2-0. Lee, I told you I'm uh, running some American football camp over there in, in, in London. I had a kid. He signed up. He's from Burnley. He found out I was a Chelsea fan, and so we started having words. Now, he's a 16-year-old kid, not like big words or anything. He's like, you guys can't score. Oh, Burnley, we're in, we're in great form right now. We, we're playing with the best of them. You know what? 3-0. I think Chelsea's got this one. Uh, the way that they played against Liverpool, obviously, is going to be a little bit of a letdown, uh, not lifting the trophy and, and, and you know, going through that match and not coming out with, with the trophy will be frustrating. But... You know, these are got to pick up points in the league. Burnley's in the relegation battle. We had tremendous success creating chances against Liverpool, and I think the same is going to continue. So I'm going with a calm, a comfortable 2-0. I always worry about the match after a championship final as being a trap game, and this has all the makings of a trap game, right? Because as you mentioned, Lee, this is a team that's a bit resurgent. They've got this nice defensive structure. They just knocked off Tottenham. They held Arsenal to a draw, Man U to a draw. All of that said, I think we're going to see, you know, some rotation to try to get fresh legs. I think we'll win 1-0. You guys can put your powers of prediction to the test with the Play Predictor on the Fifth Stand app, and you'll be added to a leaderboard every game you play. Compete for the top spot with other Chelsea fans to win a prize after every game. Then you can play again for a chance to win the monthly or season-long prizes, including a VIP match day experience with flights and accommodation from anywhere in the world. It's the time you've all been waiting for. We got Jesse Fleming coming up right after this short break. Stay tuned. Jesse, first of all, fantastic to see you. Thank you so much for your time. I know you're a, a young woman in demand. How are you at the moment? Good, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk today. We were talking off camera. It's crazy. Though. I don't think we've spoken before because obviously you joined during the start of the pandemic and obviously we've had bubbles and, and everything's been sort of very separated. So it must have been a, a strange time to join the club. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I didn't necessarily know any different. So maybe it'll be a bit different when things start to change and, and open up a bit more. But yeah, there's it's certainly been an interesting time to start in a new city and join a new team. But yeah, I mean, I think the club's been great about helping me feel welcome and kind of normalize the last year and a half. You no, know, one of the things that, that is really interesting to me is your path 
to Chelsea, um, you know, playing for the Canadian national team, you know, for so long since you were 15. And of course, then at UCLA, can you give us some insight on why you chose Chelsea? I had always known that I wanted to come to Europe. I think I was just excited by the quality of the leagues and the players that were playing over here. And then I also had some teammates with Canada who were playing on teams in in either France or England and kind of saw how much they improved just being in a professional environment surrounded by good players. So I think for me, when there was interest on the club side, it was kind of a no-brainer for me coming to a club like Chelsea. And I've just been really excited ever since I've got here, just getting to play at this club. It's a really interesting point because you mentioned the players, but also the coach as well. You've come into a club that has developed this incredible winning mentality. Was that an important part of the process for you as well? I think I wanted a club where I knew I was going to be challenged and a lot was going to be demanded of me in terms of just the quality on the pitch and developing some of my habits off the pitch in order to succeed. And and yeah, I think being a part of a, a club that wants success and has a history of success was just an added bonus. Okay, so... I'm going to full disclosure. You're one of my favorite players. I love watching just the way you move in midfield. I know you've, you've spoken before about some of your influences in midfield, but I think for me, I'm interested in the, that process. How much preparation does it take before and after a match to be able to read a game so well in real time? I think sometimes it can be hard with the tight turnaround between games, but I think our staff does a good job at kind of presenting us with the key information that we need to know. And I think preparation for me is really important. That's something that I've always been taught, especially with the national program is, you know, how can we be more prepared than the opposition? And I think it's really valuable, but I think it's also challenging when you're playing so many games and and just with the turnaround. So it's kind of that happy medium between not taking in too much information that you're, you're overthinking or you're overloaded. But I think going into a game confident that you know how to unpick the opposition or what kind of spaces you want to find yourself in. So yeah, I think it's also something that you you learn more time you spend in a pro environment or with the national team. Like what kind of information do I need to know personally going into a game to feel confident and to execute, you know, whatever my role is that night. Yeah, one, one more tactical sort of question before we get into some fun stuff. This one really fascinates me because Canada, obviously, congratulations on the gold medal Thank and the, the role you had in that was just incredible. But I'm wondering, with a team that focuses a lot on defense playing for Canada and then mm-hmm. Chelsea, which is a team that likes to do wave after wave of attack, what are the challenges that come with flopping back and forth between the two teams? It's definitely challenging with Canada. A lot of our aspirations are around developing our attack and, you know, trying to be more lethal as a team and create more chances as a team. So I think for me, with more experience I get, I think I have a lot to offer in terms of what might work at Chelsea and and how that can translate to the national team. And again, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to come to a club like Chelsea, where I felt like I was going to be pushed in parts of my game that need improvement. So like you said, with the Canadian team, we're really well known for our defending. I think it's really interesting. It goes to show that teams can be successful using different styles of play. And I think at the end of the day, you have to play to the players you have and the strengths of those players. So I think it's it's really unique for me as a player to, to play on teams with different styles and expand my tactical knowledge. As you can imagine, Jeff, loads of fan questions coming in. The first one comes from George, who wants to ask more about, I guess, life off, off the field. And he says, how are you finding life in London compared to that in California and Canada? I mean, it's definitely quite different. First year and a half here has been kind of a bit clouded by 
coronavirus. So I think maybe haven't had the chance to explore the city as much as I would like. But yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed living in London. I don't think I realized how big the city was. So I, I think there's lots of exploring to do. And I love trying different restaurants and going to see some of the historical buildings. But yeah, it's, it's very different to California. I think being in university and going to class with your best friends and teammates every day, eating a ton of meals together, it's a very different setting. Whereas I think in the pro environment, you know, people are maybe a bit more settled in their lives and home and, and work, so to speak, are, are a bit more separate. So still trying to find my groove off the pitch, I think. The weather is obviously very similar to California, isn't it? Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything about the weather. I actually don't find the weather in London that bad. I think just growing up in Canada, our winters can be quite harsh sometimes. So I'm I'm a bit used to the cold. So this this isn't too bad for me. So I don't mind the weather. But yeah, I think living in California, it, it feels like a, a bit of a dream world just in terms of the weather. It kind of sitting at 20 degrees all year round and not really getting a lot of cloudy days is is pretty special. So yeah, I, f- I feel really lucky that I got to experience that for a couple of years. But yeah, I, j- I try not to compare other places to that. <laughs> I have to ask, it seemed to tease about Sam Kerr adjusting to the cold. Have you joined in on any of that? She's usually pretty bundled up. I think I give her a hard time every now and then at training just with the amount of layers she has. But yeah, I think there's lots of people on Chelsea that are, I think G So Young is always bundled up as well. And then you have other players like Aaron Cuthbert, who's in a t-shirt and shorts, regardless of the weather. So I think, yeah, there's definitely a lot of jokes flying around about how people show up to training. Erin, hardened by that Scottish weather, of course. Um, Jesse, yeah. it's been a real pleasure. I know you've you've had a lot on last uh, few weeks, a lot of football to be played, and I guess lots more football to enjoy throughout the rest of this season. But it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, and we wish you all the luck in the world for the rest of the season and beyond. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good to speak to you. Thanks so much to the fantastic Jesse Fleming, such an impressive young woman on and off the pitch. It was great to spend some time with her, Andre, wasn't it? And we could have talked to her for hours. She's uh, she's great value, isn't she? Yeah, she's amazing. She's one of my favorite players. And just talking to her, you heard the cerebral way that she approaches the game and everything. And you also, you know, got a little insight into, into the culture at Chelsea, the Chelsea women's team as well. She's impossible not to root for. Remember, all of you fans can find anything and everything on Chelsea through the Fifth Stand app. Go ahead and download it. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend to tell a friend about the Chelsea Mic'd Up podcast. We want blue flags flying high across America. Thanks again for joining us. And we're going to see you all next week, hopefully with the cup in hand. Let's go Blues.